Philippians chapter 1. <laughs> I'm following the lead of a dear couple over there that's standing. And last week we stood for the reading of the word. We used to do that all the time, if you remember, some time ago. Anyway, Philippians chapter 1, we're starting at verse number 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. But I live on in the, in the flesh. Um, but if, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Lord God, thank you for this passage. Thank you that we're right here at this moment um, in, our, in our study, in our preaching of this, this epistle. I ask you, Lord, me with your spirit to preach, to speak forth the word of God. Anoint this congregation, those on live stream, those that will be watching this later through the social media. But Lord, bless this sermon. Let it change lives, oh God. Let it bring you glory and honor and praise, but let it also change lives for the better. So Holy Spirit, you are welcome here to do your work among us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Oh, one more thank you is in order, by the way. Hey, we started Wednesday night last Wednesday. First Wednesday night in church in three years. <laughs> and uh, Doreen, again, thank you for the coffee and the goodies. But um, I, counted, I, I counted a few different times. One time I counted 19, one time I counted 20, and once I counted 21. So I don't know how many people were here, but there were a lot of people here that aren't usually on the live stream. There were also... 16 or 18 people on live stream. So our attendance just kind of expanded. So if you're, if you're uh, free on Wednesday night, we'll be meeting at 6.15 for coffee and 7 o'clock for the Bible study. All right. Continuing our verse-by-verse -verse preaching of the epistle Paul wrote to the Philippians. Um, in my Bible, the heading in my Bible says, Paul's Afflictions exalt the Lord. I've entitled the message, Paul's Dilemma. And so far, this, here's a little background in case you're, you missed some of it, but Paul's in prison. He's in Rome. This is one of the prison epistles. He wrote four epistles from prison, uh, Colossians, Philippians, uh, Ephesians, and Philemon. He's awaiting trial. He's, he's considered an enemy of Caesar. Nero is in power. And there's always a delicate balance between the Roman Empire and the Jewish people living in the same territory under the Roman rule with a different set of values. But anyway, Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. Timothy, his good friend, his son of the faith, is visiting with him. 
And uh, so Paul writes this letter. It's known as a letter of joy. There's a lot of happiness in this letter. Uh, verse number seven, I think, is very important. He, he's saying to the church there, uh, you know, I have you in my heart. They're very close. They're very connected. Uh, I have you in my chains. Uh, you're in my defense of the gospel. And we're partakers of the grace of God together. Now, he's, he's some miles away, but he's together in spirit. And so Paul is blessed and encouraged by them. He prays for them. In verses four and verse nine, he's praying for these people. He loves these people. And um, he says in verses 12 through 14, just to paraphrase, everything that has happened to me, my chains, my beatings, my imprisonment, my relationship with you, everything working together here is for the good. The gospel is being proclaimed through the situation. If you look at verse number 12, the, the non-believers were being challenged to listen to what he had to say. The believers were being encouraged to be bolder in their faith because of Paul's example. And in verse number 18, just to summarize that little section, he realizes some people were sharing the gospel there in Rome with the wrong motive. But Paul was in such a, a condition, he didn't even care that they were doing it with, with the wrong motive. He was just happy that the word of God was going forward. So he's, he's in this mindset, as he wrote in Romans 8.28, that all things work together for the good, for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So Paul and the Philippians have a long history, about 25-year history. You may remember some of the stories we shared a few weeks ago. There was Lydia and her household that went by the riverbank to, to hear, to, to pray, and to seek God. And there Paul happened to be. I call that a divine appointment. And they heard Paul preach and it said the Lord opened up their heart to receive the things that Paul was saying. They got saved. They're part of the first converts of the church of of the, uh, of the Philippians. Then there was this episode of the slave girl that kept pestering Paul and, and he was rebuking demons in, from her and she was set free, becoming a part of the church there. Then there was the Philippian jailer who was in charge of keeping Paul in prison. And when they escaped supernaturally, he was afraid uh, he was going to be killed because he was responsible, but he also came to faith, he and his household. So anyway, um, we, we see in this so far, what we're seeing in this epistle is, is a certain principle regarding a local church and the leadership of a church. To put it mildly, they're really close. They really love and respect each other. Mutual love and respect. Sharing their lives, sharing situations, communicating with one another. They're praying for one another. They're investing in each other's lives. And from this epistle, uh, theologians get a lot of information that's passed on to pastors and churches of how to model your congregation. So anyway, verses 19 to 26 is our next section. And just to give you a quick overview, and this is why I call it Paul's Dilemma, Real quickly, in verse number 19, he knows something. In verse number 25, he's confident and he knows something there. But in verse number 20, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. In verse number 23, he's not sure which would be better, to live or to die. But in verse 24, he decides it's more important to stay and work. It's more needful for the church. So he resolves his dilemma by trusting God. So I want to go through this verse by verse, and then as we do, we're going to apply it to our, our situations. 
without raising a hand, I wonder if any of you have, have a dilemma right now. Like you're not sure how to think about something or a situation has arisen and you're, you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what to do. I, I'm not, I don't know. I don't feel it. But hopefully this message will help us do some things that will make us sense the Lord's direction for us. Amen? So I want to give you, eventually, and it won't be too long. For some pastors, eventually means an hour, but it's not an hour. Just sooner or later, we're going to get to the point of, I want to make application to this. Hello? <laughs> okay. Verse number 19. Paul's in custody. He's awaiting trial. Nero's the king. He's not sure of his future. Although church history tells us, and tradition tells us, that you know when Paul went to prison... He was released a couple of times. He may have gone back to Ephesus and then rearrested, but finally he was rearrested and beheaded. Such that's what church history tells us. But at this point, um, he doesn't know what his future holds for him. And uh, and I, I want to get into this verses nineteen and twenty. These are not verses that support the positive confession theology. These are verses that support. Ultimate faith and trust in God, regardless of what happens. That, to me, is real faith, not hyper-faith. It's just genuine biblical faith. But he says in verse number 19, just to get into this, he says that, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Okay, this will result in my deliverance. Some Bibles say my salvation. Some might say my freedom. He's not talking about a spiritual thing here with God. He's talking about this situation I'm in, my chains, the beatings on my back, uh, my, my legal problems I'm in, uh, my confinement, and my relationship with the church. This whole thing is going to lead to my deliverance from my predicament that I'm in. Not his salvation. He knows he's saved already. But it's going to lead to his freedom of this predicament that he's in. Now, sometimes we're, we're in predicaments. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm in a predicament. I feel like I'm in my own jail. It's all in my mind, but it's real to me. You ever feel like that? I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm like, I'm confined. Lord, help me. And the Lord's reminding us that all the things that are happening, and we'll get to other things, are working together for something really good and powerful. So um, this is leading to his deliverance. Um, he has, uh, he has, let's see, this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer. Your prayer is an, is an element of what's going on here. Remember, they're in his heart. They're in his chains. They're in his defense of the gospel. He's thinking about them. They're in, they're in his life, in his mind, in his spirit. And then he says also, by the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul is expressing his tremendous faith and trust in God as he's sitting there in a jail cell so many miles away with his friend Timothy by his side. So all this is working together. And he says, uh, let, me, let me read verse 19 again. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's a very important scripture. According to verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope. I, I think that that's Paul's way of saying according to my faith. We're always looking for a definition of faith. 
I think an earnest expectation of hope is a good way to describe faith. Paul had faith that something was going to happen. People are praying, the circumstances, the Holy Spirit is there. But his earnest expectation and, and hope is going to, going to deliver him. He says, I, I won't be ashamed. So just to break it down for clarity, he's saying, when I stand before Nero or whoever, I have confidence. I'm not going to be ashamed of my God and my gospel. I'm not going to be, he said it in other places, I'm not ashamed of the cross of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. So he's saying, I have people praying for me, circumstances going on, the Holy Spirit. I have faith in God. I'm not going to be ashamed if I stand before Nero or whomever. And I'm going to be bold. Uh, I'm not going to denounce my Lord. I'm not going to bow down to Caesar. I'm going to be in power and demonstration of the spirit. He said that in, in Corinthians. It's not that he has fancy words to embellish. He's a man of faith. And he says in verse 20, as always, uh, Christ will be magnified in my body, in my situation, in my chains, in my hardship. And then he, he clinches the whole thing by saying, whether I'm dead or alive, whether in life or in death. And this is, this is a place where Paul is. It doesn't matter what happens to him. He's in a good place. Can I just pass that on to the church today? We need to get to a place that no matter what's going on around us, and for a lot of us, a lot's going on around us. But I'm here to tell you, our circumstances cannot dictate our faith in God. I'm going to trust God if everything's going good. I don't think so. So Paul is laying down an example. If you really break it down, he's a strong man of God. I don't know if I'm going to live or die. All I know is that these circumstances, your prayers, the work of the Holy Spirit, and my faith, I'm not going to be, I'm not backing down. I'm going to stand tall for my Lord. I don't care whether I live or die. Christ will be magnified if I'm out of here and, and delivered and set free. Christ is magnified. If I'm crucified or if I'm, if I'm beheaded for my faith, guess what? Christ is magnified. What a man of faith. Powerful, powerful. So then he goes on to verse number 20. He says, now this is an interesting verse to me. I've always wondered exactly what he meant, but in context it becomes clear to me. For to me, this is his personal philosophy. For to me, to live is Christ. You ever ask yourself, what does that mean anyway? To live is Christ. Well, I'm living, but that, that's Christ that I'm living? Well, he's, he's on like such a spiritual high right, right here. What he means is, Everything I do in life is in Christ. Every aspect of my life includes and honors Jesus. Jesus is exalted in every role that we play. For instance, as a, as a, as a husband or a wife or a, a son or a daughter, a worker at some place, a brother or a sister, whatever your role is, Christ is in the middle of everything that we do and everything that we are. To live is Christ. Now, some of us, when we got saved back in those days, when we came to Christ, we realized if it weren't for Christ, I would be dead, literally. Some of us have that testimony. Or I would be in prison or I would whatever, you know. But, but, but to, I'm living now. To live is Christ. 
I, I'd like, that was the theme earlier during worship. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first got saved. Where I was so desperate for God, I would have done anything to serve the Lord. I would have done anything to get to the house of the Lord. Am I speaking anybody's language? I don't know if you remember. I, I can remember in my day. I, often I was the first one at, at church. Sometimes waiting for the pastor to get there with the key. I was hungry for God. And so, yeah, time goes by. You get a little knowledge or whatever. I don't need to do that. Yes, you do. Yeah, we do. We all do. We need to stay hungry. We need to stay desperate. Uh, uh, there's two factors involved. One is our own flesh. That's bad enough. But throw on top of the flesh is, a sa- is Satan and demonic forces that would do anything to confuse us and lead us astray. So anyway, stay hungry for the Lord. Anyway, to, for, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To paraphrase, to live is for Christ. It's Christ in me. And that's glorious. But if I die in Christ, that's even better. That's what you call everlasting life. To die is gain. Like living for Christ now is great. It's good. It's right. But dying and going to glory is even better than this. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're looking forward to that day. You know, the glory be with the Lord forever. So here, here's his dilemma in verse number 22. He says, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Well, so if I live, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm working. There's fruit from my labor. It's all good. But he says, he says, yet what I shall choose, I can't tell. In other words, I don't know how to think. I'm sitting here in jail. I could be beheaded next week. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe I'm going to be set free. I don't know. But how should I think about this? He's he's in a dilemma. My heart goes out to Paul right here. If I live on, I'm going to work for the Lord. That's good, you know. But but, uh, if I I die, uh, it'll be better if I go to be with the Lord. Verse 23 says, I'm hard pressed. Our, Our vernacular would say, I'm stressed out over this issue. I don't know what to do. I don't know the right way to think about it. I have a desire to leave and be with Jesus, which is far better than being here. But nevertheless, verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. He's just thinking out loud. And isn't it interesting, too, that Paul's telling them all of this? He didn't have to. These are his innermost thoughts and feelings. He's bearing his soul to this church. I love you, but I'd rather be with Jesus. But maybe for your sake, I should stay with you. He's in a dilemma, but he's sharing his thoughts with these people. That says a lot about this word that we love around here called relationship. In verse 25 and verse 26, kind of summarize where he's at. He says, I am confident of this, though. I know that I shall remain and continue with you, with you all, for your progress and joy in the faith. I'm, I'm confident, I'm sure, I'm certain. 
I, I resolve this. It's, it's, it's more needful if I stay here. And if, if I stay here, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm confident I'm going to be with you. I'm going to continue with you uh, for your progress and for the joy of your faith. And verse 26 just says, just to paraphrase that, he, he's saying, and, and also, if I ever get to see you, your joy will be even greater when I see you in person. So this is quite a passage of Scripture. And I, 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 I've been thinking about it and, and, and trying to make it you know, applicable to our lives. I think just knowing the story is really good and interesting. Let me, let me just summarize this real quick here. Paul is in prison. He's under house arrest. He's got life and death in the balance. Not sure what's going to happen. He's in a dilemma, has mixed feelings and emotions. He wants to do the right thing. And he's sharing this with the church. He resolves his dilemma by placing his life 100% in the hands of God, which, which, where, which is where it was in the first place. I don't know what would have happened. This is another way to look at this. What if he wasn't with Christ for the last month, say, and now all this stuff is happening to him? I think he may have fallen apart, maybe. But he's already in the flow of the Spirit. Are you following me? He's already close to God. He's already he's been dependent on God anyway. So when all these things are happening and death is lurking, he's already in a good place. Can you see the value of being ready? Because you never know what's going to happen. In a given day, week, month, or whatever, a given season of your life, you never know what's going to happen. I want to encourage you. How can I say it? How, how do I apply this to my life? Live every day like it might be your last. I don't know. Live every day like you don't know what's going to happen, but you have faith in God that whatever happens, you're going to be okay. Every day. And, but see, the, the problem with that is that after a week or two or a month or two or maybe a year, everything's going good. Eh, I think I'll slack off a little bit here. That's what the enemy would love for you to say. Now I'll get him. He thinks he's so good and so stable. Now I'll pull the rug out from under him. And that's what happens to most of us. We forget we're this close away from falling if we allow that to happen. We cannot let up on the pedal, so to speak. We must press in, run after, pursue God. P Peter said, for your enemy... Satan is like a roaring lion, right? Seeking whom he may devour. Those aren't just fancy words that he said. He means that. He'll use whatever to, to uh, persuade the Christian believer away from Christ, away from church, away from the word of God, and away from prayer. And by the way, I want to talk about prayer in a minute, but I hope people are praying early in the morning. I want to get to that in a minute. But see, Satan will discourage us from getting up to pray. You know why? Because the prayer wasn't answered yet. But I think the Lord is saying to us, you know what? It's not answered yet, but it might be answered today. So don't let up. Don't let in. Don't give into it. You fight through. You pray through. You trust me regardless, even when you don't see it. You trust me. All right. I'm going to give you four things to think about to help us resolve our dilemmas. If you're anything like me, I have probably two or three dilemmas per day. I don't know about you. I, I, I'm close to my dilemmas. They follow me sometimes. And I think I get it resolved and it comes back at a different angle. But anyway, 
Paul settled, these are all prefaced by the word settled by. So Paul's dilemma are settled by, number one, his faith. Already alluded to it, but faith is what keeps us grounded and stable. I remember many years ago when I was at a different pastorate, uh, and I was having a difficulty something in the church. I don't even remember what it was, but I called the district official. I explained the situation, and he said something I'll never forget. He said, Rick, you got to drop the anchor. And to tell you the truth, for a little bit, I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> drop the anchor of your faith. Don't do anything rash, foolish. Don't do anything. Just wait on the Lord. Drop the anchor of your faith and be stable. Wait upon the Lord. That was really good advice. I use that often anyway. But look, look, at, look at Paul. Look, look, look at chapter 1. Now, you, you get the idea. He's in, in, under house arrest with chains on. He has no liberties to speak of. But look at his attitude. Verse number 2. He greets the church, grace and peace to you. Really, Paul? Verse number 3. Greets, greets them with thanksgiving. Verse number 4. He greets them by saying, I'm praying for you. Verse number six, he greets them with confidence in God and confidence in them that they're going to make it. They're going to they're going to progress. Verses 12, 13, 14. He, he's greeting them by saying, you know what? All my situation here, it's all going to work for good. Even non-believers are curious about my chains. The believers are getting bolder and even people are preaching the word of God. This is a good time. And I'm thinking, how does Paul have that? As he's tied up in a jail waiting to be executed. It has to be his faith. And if we could learn anything from this, we must be a people of faith. Great attitude, great outlook, a great disposition. I don't know, sometimes I, I might snap at my wife or my family because something's bothering me. And I'm not in jail. I'm not facing beheaded, be, being beheaded next week. It's just my ornery nature. <laughs> Lord, fix us. Lord, fix us. It's just one man's faith. One man's faith. Faith will help us settle the dilemma. Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled seven times. By faith, the prophets subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And whoever comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Verse number 20, he's in this dilemma. What should I do? What should I do? I don't know what to do. Well, he says in verse number 20, I'm not going to be ashamed. My faith is going to carry me through. I'm going to be bold in God. And, and, and whatever happens, Christ is going to be magnified in my body. Faith is our most treasured commodity, church. It's a gift from God. I, I want to encourage you, take care of it, protect it, nurture it, feed it, honor your faith. Romans 10, 17 comes, says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Listen, 
Listen to the word of God. Hear the preaching of the word of God. Ephesians 4.13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can we act on our faith? Peter walked on the water. Don't criticize our dear friend Peter. He's the only one that walked on the water. Well, he, had, he put his faith into action. And associate with people of like faith. There's one passage, we won't turn to it, but Acts 18.5. I allude to it once in a while because I really like this verse. Paul's in Corinth and he's kind of stymied. He's kind of like just looking around. But when, when Silas and Timothy came to support him, it says he was compelled by the Holy Spirit to begin his preaching. I think there's something about being around people with like faith. We draw from it. And when there's no one around us, we feel lonely or whatever. I mean, sometimes we have to be alone, but it's really good to have people of like faith to give us that little nudge or that little support or that little encouragement that we need. So I just want to encourage you to, to, to face your dilemma. Make sure you're a person of faith. Number two is this. Verse 19, verse 19, second part B. The prayer, prayer of others. In this case, the prayers of others is important. And prayer must become a way of life for us. But, but it does go deeper because there was relationship between them. They knew what to pray for. He knew what to pray for for them. They knew what to pray for for him. But prayer is, is a factor in helping us resolve our dilemmas. Uh, Paul often called upon others to pray for him. And it highlights the need and the importance of, as I said, of relationship. Listen to these scriptures. Romans 15, 13, Paul writes to the Romans, I beseech you that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. He's saying, come on, brothers, pray for me. 2 Corinthians 1, 11, he says, you help me by praying for us. Ephesians 6, 19, he says, pray for me that I'll have boldness of speech. You ever think Paul needed prayer to be bold? He did. Colossians 4, 3. Pray for us that there be an open door of ministry. Philemon 1, Pray for me that I could come and visit with you. Hebrews 13, assuming that Paul wrote Hebrews 13, 19, says, Pray that I could visit with you. See, the, the value of praying for one another cannot be uh, understated. Belonging to a church that prays for people, prays for one another, is a, is a special gift from God. Let me, let me say a couple of things about prayer. In case you haven't heard this, some of you are new to the church, maybe online. Every morning we meet for prayer. Right, church? Somebody say amen if you pray. Every morning we pray together, not physically together. Everyone said amen. You don't want to see me at 6 o'clock in the morning. I got gotcha. you. And vice versa. But... Everyone's, if possible, finding a place to pray early in the morning. I'm praying every morning. I just want you to know. People are joining me. They're telling me, hallelujah, we're praying together. If you have a special prayer request, let me know, and I'll do the same for you. Every Sunday night, like tonight, from 6 to 7, we're praying on the live stream. Those prayer meetings are really good. We pray I pray, I'm telling you. People share their requests. We pray. It's a heart issue. Every Monday night, 6.30, Bill and Esther here in the sanctuary praying with people. 
We have our, our quarterly prayer week coming up on April 24th through the 28th, 7 p.m. in the sanctuary. We have email prayer requests. How many get our emails? You know, send a lot of emails out with prayer requests. James 5, 16 says, the effective, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. See, our ability to face our dilemmas depends upon our faith and the prayers of the saints. If Paul can ask for prayer, I can. If Paul can ask for prayer, you can. I'll tell you flat out, if you think of me, pray for me. Just in general, if there's anything specific, I'll let you know. But I could take all the general prayer. Pray that demons leave me alone. Pray that my past doesn't haunt me. Pray that, you know, life is a little bit easier, whatever. Pray for good health. Now, these are all basic things, but they're all necessary. So we have faith, we have prayer. The third thing, the third thing to think about in in solving a dilemma, I think that Paul depended on, was the Holy Spirit. In verse 19, all these circumstances, okay, your prayers, all good. But I have the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I don't know that I ever really focused on that terminology of the Holy Spirit. But the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Some denominations refer to him as the forgotten God. Not in this house. The Holy Spirit is God working. The Holy Spirit is alive and well. And uh, so uh, Jesus said in John 16, verse 7, he said, it's better that I go away. What he meant was, it's better that I die and descend and then ascend out of the tomb and then ascend into glory. I could send you the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, 8, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the world. So we have this threefold application of the work of the Holy Spirit. When we're born again, the Holy Spirit is in us. We can't be born again without the Holy Spirit. As we walk out our daily lives with the Lord, He is with us side by side. But when He empowers us to be a witness, He comes upon us in a different sort of a way. We call it the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you, church, Feed your spirit, person. Worship Jesus. I'm telling you, worship Jesus, praise him. If you can't find something to praise him about, I don't know, praise him that you're alive. Praise him that you have food, provided that you do, or you will. If you need food, let me know. We'll give you food. (laughs) Just find something to praise God for. Read and memorize scripture. You know, scripture memorization seems to be a thing of the dark ages, but it's still a valid thing to do. Memorize the word of God. Listen to preaching. Get on the podcast, get on New Life Haverhill podcast. You'll hear preaching all night long. Just listen to the word of God. There's something about the preaching of the word of God that's important. Go to Bible studies. Wednesday night, got live stream or in-house, either way, it's all good. But listen to this, do all those things, but stop the flood of unholy spirits that enter your space. We're all in the same boat. There's unholy spirits all over the place. We don't even have to go looking for them, they're there already. But 
Watch what we see, what we hear. Watch what, we, what our senses are, are, are engaging. Stop indulging in unholy practices with unholy people, using unholy words, with unholy stories or thoughts or entertainment. And, and expect God to fill us with the Holy Spirit to be empowered. I don't think it works that way. I think God waits a little bit to see where we are at. If we seek him, we'll find him. You know, if we run after him, he'll be there to, to meet us. But if we're indulging in the things of the flesh and the world and expect God's blessing, I don't think it works that way. I think he waits. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Pursue peace with all people and pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Sometimes I wonder, why can't we see God move? Why, can't we, why are we not aware of what's God, what God is doing? Well, it could have been because last night we, all, we were filling our minds and our spirit with ungodly things. Or that week we did unholy things. And now we come into this place of holiness. We don't know what to do with ourselves. Am I making any sense? I mean, the Lord meets us. The Lord helps us. But he's looking for a little cooperation. See, we, we uh, feel like, well, I'm entitled to God's blessing. I don't think so, church. I don't think anyone's really entitled to it. I think by his grace, he gives us his blessing. But Paul settled his dilemma by an abundant supply of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. I think Paul was able to cut off distractions in his life. Now, I, I, I think that our generation has the most distractions ever with social media and everything else. But at that time, he had distractions. You know what his distractions were? People bugging him, the guards, the system, the, the food, whatever. Things were bugging him, I'm sure. He was able to take away the distractions and get alone with God. I would say for us, for our generation, be very careful of social media. It's good and bad. We all know that. But don't, don't, get, don't get like captive by it. It could kill you. It could ruin your faith, actually. It could play with your mind. It's played with my mind, and I can't afford to do that. Be careful of social media. Jesus said, if you seek, you'll find. It all works together. So Paul had faith, right? He had prayer, people praying for him. He had the Holy Spirit working on his behalf. The last thing is this. I'm going to close with this, verses 25 and 26. Paul, I call this the fellowship of the saints. He had the fellowship of the saints. Personally, this number four, <laughs> the fellowship of the saints. He had what happened? <laughs> there I am. And now the fellowship of the saints. I've said it before. I see it all over the scripture. But this walk with God was never designed to be a lonely walk. I mean, there are times when we're alone. There are times when no one will be around us, and that's va valuable. But generally speaking, the Lord has designed the body of Christ to be a functioning body that all has a little piece to bring to it, and all working together for the, for the whole establishment of his church. So in verses 25 and 26, he says, I'm confident 
I, I like how Paul says this. I don't know if I'm going to live and die, but I, this I'm sure of. I'm, I'm going to be with you. I'm committed to you. Uh, no matter what happens. If I die tomorrow, know that I died committed to you. If I live for another year, I'm committed to you. I like that. I like his attitude. He was confident. I, I, I'll remain. I'll continue with you, with you all for your progress and the joy of your faith. What a great way to say it. I'm committed to you, church. I, I, I want to see you progress. I want to see you grow. I want the joy of the Lord to be your strength and so on. And I'm going to be, remain with you. Um, and, and, and here he's fellowshipping with them by a letter even. He couldn't be there in person, but the letter was enough for the moment. But in verse 26, he says, I hope to be there you know, face to face. That would even be better for you. And, and your joy would be greater when you see me in person. So putting all that together, I, I think we have... I mean, I'm not, I'm not one to always make little formulas, but we see some principles in the Word of God. If we're in a dilemma and we're not sure what... Let's take care of our faith. What's going on? My microphone's dying. Plan B. <laughs> make sure your faith is good. Make sure people are praying with you. But that means you have to share your need with people, thus relationship. Make sure you're pursuing the Holy Spirit. But you're not pursuing an unholy spirit either. At the same time, that doesn't mesh. And have the fellowship of the saints. Know that people are cheering you on, rooting for you, loving you, care about you. Will help you when you're going through difficulties. In practical ways, emotional ways, and relationship ways. I wanted to close by just reciting uh, verses 25 and 26. Why don't we stand together? Can we do that? So sorry we didn't have any slides today. but uh, And also, whenever we have it on, this, on the slides, it's all in the New King James Version, so we're all literally on the same page. So I'm going to ask you to read in your Bible, and it may be different than my Bible. Mine's New King James. But can we read verses 25 and 26 together? Yes? Everybody ready? <laughs> Come on now, get, get the Bible apps. I know how that is. I have one too, just not on Sunday morning. Philippians 1, verse 25. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Let's read it one more time. That wasn't so bad, was it? They're all similar. Being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Every head bowed, please. Hallelujah. I wonder uh, if somebody's facing a dilemma in your life. Raise your hand. I mean like a real dilemma. Like right now, you got a dilemma going on. All right. I wonder if someone's got to make an important decision really soon and you're not certain what to do. Yeah.
I wonder if someone simply needs Jesus right now. You may be a Christian, but you need, you need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost unction on you to lead you, to help you, to guide you, to provide for you. Is there anyone that needs to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Let me just put that out there. You're not sure. You're not sure if, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or not? The only way to go to heaven is to be covered by the blood of Jesus, having Jesus Christ in your heart. So is there anyone that would like to receive Jesus today? Just raise your hand quickly. Okay. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word today. Paul's dilemma speaks volumes to each of us. We all have our various dilemmas every day. But we pray, and Lord, I pray that this fellowship, this congregation, would be a church full of people of faith. Help us to be a people of faith. Help us to be a people of prayer. Help us to pray, literally pray for one another. Help us, Lord, to always be aware of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, for a a fresh baptism in your spirit upon everyone here today. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be a a really integral part of our fellowship and our relationship with you and our relationship with one another. And I pray, Lord, that the fellowship of the saints would be sweet. I pray, Lord, that our times on Sunday morning would be good. Our times on Wednesday night during the coffee hour would be sweet times of fellowship. And, Lord, as we progress through this year, we're going to pray for different times of maybe dinners together or some fellowship meetings or whatever. We just pray, Lord, that we would have those times to, to be with each other, even outside of the church setting. We pray for friendships to develop. We pray for uh, a, a, a wholeness to kind of develop within the body that we could share our thoughts with one another and pray for one another. So, Lord, I thank you for this passage I thank you for this morning, Lord. I, we sense your presence with us. I ask you, Lord, to bless this congregation, those online as well. Let us leave here, oh God, encouraged. And let us leave here with faith, knowing that whatever we have to face, you are there to help us through. Help us do the best we can with what we have. Let us make good, sound decisions based upon our faith, based upon the prayers, based upon the Holy Spirit at work, and based upon our fellowship within the body of Christ. So thank you, Lord. May your blessing be upon us. In Jesus' precious holy name, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, if anyone would like prayer, I'll be available, available up here. There is coffee and snacks in the back for a little time of fellowship. Uh, Join us tonight at 6 on the live stream if you can, New Life Haverhill on Facebook or YouTube. God bless you.